Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. My name is Miguel, and I'm joined with my co-hosts, Haley and Charlie. Hello, ladies. How are you doing? Doing well. How about you? I'm all right. Haley? Uh, I think I'm doing pretty good. I uh, got my house, my pantry. I haven't talked about this yet, but I'm very excited. Yesterday, my pantry was professionally organized, and I woke up today walking in my pantry. I swear, I just sat there and admired it. So I'm doing great. That's, that's whatever what... you do, don't use it. And it will always look perfect. <laughs> just adulting if, things. Yeah. If you want to know things that get like, you know, what gets you excited in your 30s, it's, you know, organization in your pantry. There you go. Is hiring a pantry Marie Kondo <laughs> to come into your house. Dude, seriously, though, it was amazing. That's basically what it was. It was glorious. I mean, I have to say, I saw the photos on Instagram and I was like, oh, yeah. Good. Was that good I content? Mean, yeah, I mean, everything has labels. You know, there is a place and a system for everything. Oh, it is the greatest thing ever. I had no idea we were going to talk about this, but now I'm super <laughs> interested. So I have to know, did they find something in your pantry that maybe you were just like, oh shit, that was in there for way too long? No, but did somebody see, I posted something to Instagram probably a few months ago. It was a butternut squash that started out to be about this big that had literally shriveled up to like, no, no. it was like a little tiny butternut squash that you could just hold in your hand, you know, just like the palm of your hand, it fit. Luckily they did not find anything like that. I did a quick sweep before they came. Oh, so you did that whole cleaning before the cleaners come thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely <laughs> had to do that. Mm-hmm. The pantry equivalent of washing your dishes before you put them in the dishwasher. <laughs> yeah. But come on, right after they left, I went on Amazon and I bought one of those P-Touch label makers and I'm about to label my entire life. I'll tell you that. I've been wanting to get one of those for the garage so I can like label things. Yeah. Uh, in the hopes that maybe my partner will respect the labels and put things where they go. But eh, that's probably not going to happen. It'll probably just drive me even more crazy because I'll just be like, look, there's a label now and you're still not putting it there. Whatever. I'm going to get myself in trouble if I don't keep my voice down. What are we doing today, Miguel? Who the hell knows what we're doing? Okay. So today we're just, this is the pantry episode, just all things pantry. But uh, no, in all seriousness, today we're doing QA, which we haven't done in a little bit. Off the bat, I want to encourage all of our listeners who are live to please drop any questions that you have, big or small, doesn't matter. It can be about anything that you want. Doesn't have to be limited to really anything. I mean, I welcome any kind of question. Yeah, you can ask us what we had for breakfast if you want. I mean, I will tell you. You can ask what's in my pantry. (laughs) All right. So I actually came preloaded with a few questions that I thought would help kind of like jog our brains. And then you guys can ask follow-up questions from there. So so let's just get right into it. I'm going to ask kind of like a big overarching question first, and that is here. What do you think about the great resignation and how that will affect the greater economy? For those of you who may not know, the great resignation is the term that has been coined to describe all the people who are leaving their jobs, whether it's voluntarily or otherwise. I guess resignation seems to insinuate that it's done through choice, (laughs) but uh, that is not the boat everyone's in. So I will loop in anybody who has maybe had a job and no longer has one anymore. Some of us may have been in the restaurant industry or the entertainment industry, and obviously that took a big hit. So people got creative or forced to be creative because maybe 
you put 15 years into a career that is now shut its doors or the demand isn't as high as it used to be. So what do you ladies think how that has affected the creator economy? It's been interesting to see. I feel like at the start of the pandemic, there was a lot of people, like you said, out of work, not by their own choice. A lot of companies were doing layoffs and things as the pandemic hit and they weren't sure how things would go. And I feel like we saw a lot of people starting up their own creator businesses then or like, you know, embracing their own creator things. Maybe not by choice. It wasn't their choice to do it at that time, but they used that. They like used it as fuel and they used the time for that. Now, I think that with the position we're in with this great resignation is that people are choosing to leave their jobs to do their own thing or to like pursue different passions or even to work at other companies if they want to you know people i think have been through the past 18 months and it's really like we have all been forced to take stock on what is important to us in our lives and how we want to be spending our time because like we've all just spent so much time with our own thoughts you know with not a lot of other things to distract us no events and travel and things like that and i think that that's caused a lot of people to like decide to go all in on betting on themselves, being self-employed, being a creator full-time. And I don't think we've really seen the impact of that yet on the creator economy because it takes a while to get things spun up, right? And I think maybe we'll see in like six months time to a year from now, there is going to just be so many more full-time creators killing it, doing what they love because they took this bet at this time. That's my optimistic view of things though, anyway. Yeah, totally. What do you think, Haley? I totally agree. I don't think you could have said it any better, but I think early on in the pandemic, nobody knew what the heck was going to happen, how mm-hmm. long it was going to go on, right? It was every country was kind of saying something a little bit different. You know, New Zealand kicked it real quick, right? And this idea that it could last, you know, a couple of months was still kind of like a possibility. And here we are 18 months later and you're taking stock of where, you know, your perspective three months in is very different than your perspective was 18 months in. And all of a sudden your mind's at a totally different place and it allows you to kind of figure out, explore Am I doing what I want to do? Charlie, you couldn't have said it any better. I think I agree with you 100% that we're not going to see the benefit. We're not going to see the outcome of the great resignation for, I'd say, six months to a year. One of the things that we know is that the journey to being a creator, and especially a creator, like a full-time creator, someone that's really creating income for themselves and able to live off of that income, like that takes time to build. So I think that we're going to see the effect of that in the next realistically, and this is what Alexis said last, our last episode, realistically 18 months, you know, from now. It's been kind of crazy because there's been this sort of perfect storm of we have like the rise of TikTok and that kind of coincided with the pandemic, which was like this sort of like alignment of this new platform where people can do short form, medium form, even some people do long form content on TikTok, which has been pretty cool to see. And I think that a lot of the times the thing that holds us back from pursuing our creative projects is that we have something very comfortable and cushy, like a paying job that pays you every on a regular basis, you know, and then that's a really good reason to not do the creative thing. But when that's forced upon you or you start looking around you and seeing seeing what's going on in the world and you decide, you know what, whether the decision was made for me or not. Now, this creativity idea that I've always had seems more and more viable to a lot of people. If nothing else, something to do after getting laid off. But at best, kind of seeing the the way that the pandemic has forced the world to change in so many ways, whether that's remote work or, you know, the advent of 
new platforms like TikTok. So I think it's really, really exciting to see what's going to happen in the next, like you said, six months to even 18 months from now. Yeah. I'm curious to know how the pandemic or anything, you know, anything over the past 18 months has changed how you think of yourselves as a creator or like Mm -hmm. changed your goals as creators or what you want to be doing with your time and with your life. Miguel, I'm really curious in this answer specifically from you, because in the last 18 months, like you've taken on some side projects that, yeah. you know, you basically built out an entire barbershop that looks like it came straight out of like CB2, you know, like it's pretty impressive. So I'm especially curious on this from your perspective, given that you have a huge cr- a creative outlet that now you're doing for a monetary benefit, which maybe you hadn't before. Yeah. So my journey was one of my social life got completely obliterated, like most people did. You know, not going out to restaurants, not meeting friends for drinks, not really going out for coffee unless I'm like ordering it ahead on a website and picking it up because of some makeshift thing that a coffee shop has done to survive in a pandemic, which is like close the interior, come up, figure out some way of like serving coffee in the parking lot. That's been very common around here. So my answer to that was kind of like really dig my heels into my hobbies and be more serious about them. And what that ended up turning into was, you know, I had a conversation with somebody that was starting their own business and needed a barbershop build out. They knew that I do these things. And he was kind of like strapped for cash and needed someone he could trust. And this is actually really nice to hear. He said that of all the he had a lot of contractors to do plumbing and electricity and this, that and the other for the build out. And he said of all the people that he hired, I was the only one that was reliable and showed up on time. And that felt really good to hear. And he had budgeted like $15,000 for the build out. And he was already by the time he was done, he was like 22 or 23. So that's like 50 percent more than he thought he was going to spend. So I was really glad that I got to be there for somebody that I cared about. And at the same time, I got to do something really fun and creative. And that sort of snowballed into, okay, so I really enjoy doing this. But like I've talked about in this podcast before, I don't want to spend all my weekends building out barbershops or doing something that labor intensive. But what part about this is something that I can replicate on mass? And that would be plans, you know, of things that people commonly might use, like, a simple desk or, you know, maybe some mid-century modern TV stand or something like that. And I can take the time designing that and maybe selling those plans. And then I can spend my weekends doing what I want to do instead of building other people's stuff. So that's kind of how that's kind of maybe more serious about it. And I've actually invested the time into learning how to do computer-aided design programs. Uh, There's one I've been using called SketchUp, which has been really intuitive and I can view it on my iPad. So when I'm out in my wood shop, I can like look at it while I'm building and I don't have to like haul my laptop out there and worry about getting sawdust in my keyboard and whatever. So it's been really, really fun. I really feel like I'm getting more serious about it. So yeah. I mean, and also both of you took on making this podcast during the pandemic as well. You know, I've had a couple of podcasts for years and this is not my first, my first rodeo. But, you know, this is a thing that we all decided to do together during the pandemic. And I don't know about you, but for me, it was a result of just wanting to connect in this way with more people, especially with like through a work setting and not have all of my work be so internal. I think the pandemic made me want to do that more because I'm not at conferences or, you know, meetups or anything like that. So it's another way to connect with creators like the lovely people we have in our chat. (laughs) I think for me, the pandemic made me not unfortunately, but it also coincided with me launching creator sessions, right? Like that's ultimately what it did. And then starting this podcast, I'm going to be releasing a creator sessions podcast as well. And so I feel like 
at work, my previous roles at ConvertKit weren't content or creating content focused, right? There was a totally different role. You know, I was maybe building out something out or creating an experience, but creating content and experience are totally two totally different things. So for me, my experience is probably unlike a lot of people's where at work, I got to become the content creator. And then personally Mm. on my side, it just inspired me to be more creative in things that I had not done in a long time. Like I've gotten after our Nashville trip, I was like, I want to be able to be the second camera person for Henry. I want to know those cameras inside and out the way that Henry does. And so I've been taking a lot of like photos of my kids and practicing and just like learning things and re I've took photography in college. And so like a lot of things are coming back to me. It's just, you know, so I've really been enjoying that. And it's funny because it is all for work, but right now I'm like really invested in the projects that I'm doing for work that the projects that I'm doing at home are things that like really calm my mind. So you've heard me talk about this a thousand times, but I have a ceramic obsession. So I bought a pottery wheel, you know, and like sitting on that, that like the chair in my garage and just like doing something really tactile with my hands is the thing that's like calmed me down. And maybe I turn that into something like Miguel does, you know, and I sell it like a local farmer's market or something like that. But I don't. It's not the point of it. Like you're not putting pressure on it today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What you were just talking about then makes me think of what Melanie says here about, I love the fact that so many companies now finally value video and live stream and the importance of a social media presence. Like companies have realized this during the pandemic. We pivoted, you know, our in-person event strategy to creator sessions as part of this and a lot of other companies embracing more video too. And I think this is fantastic for creators because I think that it means that People are going to be more used to this concept of paying for a webinar or like paying for a virtual conference or downloading a digital product. Like the fact that bigger companies are now doing this as a thing gets people used to it and gets creators to be able to do it as well. Like I remember a time when I ran a, it was like a benefit for my Patreon launch where I gave people a 15 minute like call with me. I could answer their questions, review their portfolio, whatever they needed. And I had to like tell them all what Zoom is and like be like, download this app, you know? Now everybody freaking knows what Zoom is. Everyone has it. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. It makes this skill set that people had not cared about. So now if you come in and you, you offer, you really understand the benefits of live streaming or Zoom or shared connection over video conferencing, that's a huge benefit to a company. There are also all these other like benefits that resulted as, you know, that came as results of that. But the amount of like, like economically cost savings, right? It's like, yep. you could throw an event and do it really well online and more people could attend and they could have this, a similar, not the same, but similar experience and maybe education, right? You, you kind of lose that human connection. Nothing will ever make up for that human connection. We know this, we have in-person retreats versus virtual retreats. We've talked about this several times, but it does make these types of things more accessible to people that are in rural areas, or maybe mm-hmm. people like if you look at Adobe Max, Adobe Max is a great example of this. They took their entire conference and they turned it online and they made it available for millions of people. And it opened up this this network, you know, like all of these creatives could now go and watch this content where they couldn't before. Haley's turned into somewhat of a robot, but I think we got the point. Yeah. Yeah. And not to harp on this too much longer, but I just like when you look at what Apple has done for their big events as well, I love 
what they did because of the pandemic. Instead of those just televised guy on stage or woman on stage talking about the whatever product or whatever with, you know, some cool videos in between. Like the production value of those events now are so cool. I'm like super like glued to the screen just because it's it's the, the, the way they shoot things is really creative and cool. And you can really see how they've sort of like spread their wings with that. And I, I kind of don't want it to go back the way it used to be. Like, I don't. And that's because I'm sitting here at home watching it. I mean, I'm sure if I had the option to go to those events, I would say, well, going to the event's so much better because you get to be there, you get to like touch the new phones and whatever. But as a larger audience that is not there, it's a lot more exciting what they've done with those changes. But anything else to say on that before we move on? One more thing I want to say is that I'm thinking about some of the like virtual experiences I've taken part in throughout the pandemic. And some of them have been through work through our virtual retreats. But I think that it's, I've loved seeing how creators have embraced the world through it. You know, creators who perhaps previously could only maybe teach yoga or run a murder mystery party or whatever in (laughs) person in their city. Now they have an audience of the world, right? And I think that Mm -hmm. a lot of creators have adapted really well to this. Maybe some haven't so much, but I think the creators who have done really well throughout the pandemic are the ones who have embraced this idea that, okay, my local is now the whole internet. And so I can like open things up a little bit more, which has been cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That may not work for everything either, because some people, the part of the creativity part that they like is the personal connection that they mm-hmm. have with people in person. And that's just so hard to replicate online. So it might just suck the fun out of it if you're just doing Zoom murder mysteries instead of getting to totally. do it with people. So That's a fair call out. Now, Charlie, we do have a question specifically for you, apparently. Okay. From the Teddy Williams. He says, how are the shorts going, Charlie? And what are your thoughts on short form video content strategy? Okay. So I saw Teddy ask this question. And so I pulled up my YouTube analytics so I can give you all some numbers from this experiment. I love that Teddy asked about this. I think we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, right? We did. On the podcast. And I said I'd report back. So thanks for asking about it, Teddy. So I ended up uploading 18 shorts over the space of about three and a half weeks. Um, So I was like really getting in there because I'd heard that that was the way to like kickstart the algorithm. That was how you were going to get views. Yeah, that's what the cool people are doing. That's what the cool people were doing. I wanted to try it Mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. I ended up generating 31,000 views from those 18, I almost called them TikToks, 18 shorts, (laughs) 329 hours of watch time. And if I look at my traffic source here, 15% of those views came from the shorts feed. So like, that's what I was trying to do, right? Was get views from people just like scrolling through it on YouTube. So not a huge amount. There's only like 4,700 views that I wouldn't have gotten from like posting a normal video to my feed. And I think the like, the one with the most views was like 2,800. I don't think any of them cracked into like the 3,000 mark. Whereas I just uploaded a vlog the other day that already has 4,800 views. So my overall thoughts on shorts are, I am not sure it is worth my time, to be honest, for what I'm doing. Mm. I think that that's what I've decided. I'm gonna do maybe one or two for each video, but I'm not gonna try and make it a daily thing and continue with this idea of like trying to crack the algorithm in that way. I've had some good feedback on them, surprisingly from people saying that they really appreciate the short form learning and like me pulling things out like that. So yeah, I'll keep doing it one or two per like cut down from a main video. But for me, I'm not going to make it a main strategy. I think I'm a long form girl. You can tell from how long my answer has been to this question that I suit long form better. (laughs) 
You know, what's interesting about that is I was just, I was on the YouTubes this morning and I was browsing through some of the videos, like woodworking videos I like to watch. And um, I noticed that one of the guys that I watch was doing like one minute long videos, which I hadn't seen him do before. Cause usually it's like how to, so it's like 15 minutes long, right? So I found myself clicking on videos of his that I was expecting, like the video title was some kind of question, like how do you blah, 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 right? So I was assuming that he was gonna go in depth on it. And of course it's a one minute long video. So it's like stitched together really fast, almost no voiceover, you know, lots of like sped up, whatever. And um, I found myself not really liking that content because I'm like, Mm. even though I do consume short videos, when it comes to like woodworking videos and that type of like video, short form isn't what I'm looking for in that type of video. In fact, I think it does it a disservice because I was left wanting more. And I'm like, well, where do I get the information I was hoping this video would answer? Because now I'm even more curious and I I don't have what I came here for. So it almost like was like empty calories, you know? It's just like I was hungry and I ate a candy bar and now I'm just mad because uh, (laughs) I'm still hungry and it wasn't what I wanted, so. Yep, yep. I got a couple of comments like that on some of my videos where that they were like too short or like, oh, you didn't explain this part. I'm like, yeah, well, it's freaking 60 seconds. What am I supposed to do? What do you classify as short? Is short 60 seconds and under? Is short three minutes and under, five minutes and under? I think the current like definition for short form in the creative space might be like less than 90 seconds. I'm pretty sure you can post like Mm. a 90 second reel on Instagram. Mm. I think we're talking about these, like the TikTok type of content, like TikTok started it, now Instagram and YouTube have copied it. That's what I would refer to as short form now. I think if you'd asked me this a year ago, I would have said like three minutes or less was more short form, but I think short form's gotten shorter. I mean, obviously on YouTube and Inst- or not YouTube, Instagram and TikTok, that makes total sense, right? Because it's like this streamlined scrolling experience where you can watch and it just moves to the next. Whereas YouTube, I really don't like that experience when you have 90 second or 60 second and under because then you end up watching like an ad, right? So it's like between each right. of the videos, you end up exp- like it's broken up by all of this additional content that distracts what you're actually trying to pay attention to. And that is a terrible experience at least for short form content, which is why I think it works on Instagram and TikTok, but certainly not on YouTube, at least from my perspective. I just saw Teddy ask if the shorts views were mostly from people not already in my audience, more so from a traditional video. And I just discovered really something quite sad to answer this, but my views were 82% from people who are already subscribed to my channel. Because another thing I was trying to do with this was generate more subscribers, right? I was like, could this be a way to reach more people? My net, like subscriber amount from shorts is minus four. (laughs) So sweet. I gained (laughs) 21 people subscribed from seeing a short and then 25 people unsubscribed (laughs) from seeing a short. So overall, not great. (laughs) Not great. (laughs) But you know what? The whole point is that you were experimenting and to give you insights. So I feel like, you know, it tells you something about what your audience wants. And of course, this is all, you're just inferring. You don't. You can't ever actually truly know what all these people are thinking or wanting. Um, yeah. But that's great. I mean, I love the idea of like you had a goal, you created a bunch of shorts. You didn't just do one or two. Saw that they weren't doing good and said, "Screw this." You like kept at it, and then you have a more solid answer if you did it for a while than if you just did it and quit. Because then a big reason for its failure might be the fact that you did it and quit and you didn't keep doing it. Totally. So being able to rule out that persistence is a part of it. 
I will say that um, I think Instagram is proving to be much better for the short form for me. Yeah, thinking like a scientist, like Teddy just said. Um, <laughs> I love that. Instagram, the like the lowest number of views that I have on one of the the six reels that I've posted because I didn't want to post these quite so often is 2,300 and the mid- max is 6,100. So much more views than the majority of the shorts. And I just think it's because people are used to experiencing short form there, right? Like maybe that'll change on YouTube and I should try again in a year's time or something. But yeah, for now, probably not the one. <laughs> well, I'm sure nobody's more thrilled that it was a, not a success than you because I know you weren't digging doing those so technically a a resounding success yeah i guess so that's a good i like that nice positive way to look at it yeah for sure (laughs) silver lining you know yeah sorry so let's pivot a tiny bit here i know we we talked a little bit about short form and stuff like that and, and different types of content so i did have a question i wanted to talk about which was what is the easiest way to get starting producing content if there is such a thing? Like which avenue is easiest? Is it YouTube, podcasting, blogging, Instagram, TikTok? What's the best, or I guess the question is asking, what is the easiest of these to get started? I mean, I think in my opinion, I would say in order, if I was listing these out in order, I would say Instagram, TikTok, blog, podcast, YouTube. Hmm. I would give a cop-out answer and say, it depends on what interests you. <laughs> Boo. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, man. Think about this logically, okay? Instagram, right? It's free and you have filters and there are hundreds of free apps that you can do to create like free editing of your photos, right? Like that's the lowest barrier to entry Instagram. Okay. TikTok, there's a little bit of a learning curve there. You have to create some funny videos and TikTok, you know, TikTok's not my um, age group, you know, like I'm not, you know, I'm not on uh, whatever. TikTok's not my thing, but it's still the same thing. It's free. It's easy to use for the most part. And, you know, it's just video content. Then you have your blog. Writing is a, a skill. Writing is a very challenging skill and you have to create a blog. You have to have a blog to publish, write your content on. So there's more branding involved. This is like starting, and Miguel's question to clarify here is starting to produce content. Okay. Good point. So, good point. Okay. Okay. Next one is podcasting because podcasting requires you to have, for the most part, like some sort of podcast software, right? So you can do editing. There's usually a subscription fee. So there's a cost now associated to this. And I think that it's a different type of skill. It's a little harder of a skill to learn than, say, taking a photo and posting something on Instagram and writing a brief caption. And then YouTube, Charlie, you know this. I mean, you've been doing YouTube for years. Like that is probably video editing is the most difficult of all of these on the YouTube format from a creative perspective. So I'm just like, that's my like, boom. There you go. Mic drop. (laughs) I'm curious to hear what any of our people listening live think about this. Like what comes, what feels easy to them? Like, cause myself, you putting TikTok as second on the list, I'd be like, poof, that'll probably be the what last for me. Cause I just, I don't <laughs> use the platform. So I don't understand it, you know? Whereas yeah. YouTube, I was consuming content well before I started making it. So it felt easier for me to get started than a blog, honestly, because yeah. I was consuming there and I felt like I understood it and I knew it and it felt natural to me. But I think your reasons are sound. Like if someone doesn't feel pulled to any one of these in particular, I think that list makes a lot of sense. Mm. I think maybe where I was thinking of to start with, I know Miguel R started producing content, but I immediately started thinking, start creating an audience because I think it's different. 
you know, like mm. the right platform to get started producing content on, like the easiest for that might not be the easiest way to build an audience. Yeah. Like I don't think Instagram is the easiest way to build an audience if you're just getting started producing content. But TikTok would be much easier because we know they have like this like mythical, magical algorithm that somehow gets people in front of the people who want to see the content and that that would be a better way to go about it. I think what what you were alluding to as well is like I think like you were saying it it depends on the person or maybe the mm-hmm. the type of thing that you're trying to create. I think you know going back to my omnipresent example of woodworking, woodworking blog may not be the type of way that I want to connect with that. I mean, because then it would be like a lot of writing and maybe some pictures and stuff like that. But if I'm doing a how to. I think it's easier to engage with a video than maybe like having to read a pages upon pages of like step by step. People like to be shown rather than having to read things. So it just depends on what you're trying to do and how you're trying to engage with your audience, I think. But like for another example, for podcasting, you might think, oh, well, I have to get a really nice mic. I have to get like, you know, podcasting software, like Haley said. So there's like a monetary barrier to entry there. But then again, as our friend Ben has said on this podcast before, or maybe he was just telling me once, but one of his good friends, Michael, he has a podcast where he literally just records himself doing walks through the woods on his cell phone. And that's his podcast. It's just like his inner thoughts, I guess, while he's walking around in the woods in the wilderness of Idaho. So how's that for not getting a fancy mic? You know, he's just like... Just you're just yammering into your phone and then you're posting it somewhere. So, I mean, it just depends on like what you're trying to do and how you're trying to do it. Honestly, like the idea that you need like a thousand dollar DSLR to do YouTube videos is obviously not correct. Anybody with a decent iPhone can probably get away with doing pretty good content with that. So which incidentally probably costs the same as the thousand dollar DSLR. Oh, yeah, maybe that's a bad example. (laughs) But But they probably already have one is what you're saying. Like you're more likely to already own one. There's a Verizon (laughs) payment plans for that. You know, we're good. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. I'm wondering, since Miguel's brought up Apple and iPhones twice, did you order a new iPhone as part of the new release? Hell no. Oh. There's a new release? What, like a 13 came out? I did. Yeah. <laughs> I have a 12. So forking over another $1,000 for like a 2% increase in what my phone can do? Meh. No thanks. Fair enough. Fair enough. I was on a, a 10S, so that's why how I justified it to myself. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, that's like three or four phone generations. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that exactly. is justifiable. <laughs> well, I'm officially looking at what the new phones to are. check this yep. out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm still mad about the computer because I got the iMac right before the iteration when the ones with the colors came out. So I'm still still annoyed about that. Oh, actually, this makes me think of a, um, a question that I'm curious from a creator perspective. Have you ever experienced it where you've bought a product from someone or I don't know, signed up for a course. And then shortly after you see a big discount launched for it. they run a promotion where you get something extra or there's a new version and you have to buy the new version instead. And that's happened to me and it just makes you feel not great. And so I don't know. Yeah. Just curious for your thoughts on how creators should handle this to help their audiences not feel like they missed out on the new iMac. <laughs> Dude, ain't that the truth? This is a hard one. I mean, because I think that that is driven mostly from like the direct response internet marketers of the world. And I do not consider direct response marketers like creators, like they might serve creators, but it's really like a totally different team that's serving that's 
kind of driving that. So I think that's a really hard conversation to have because those those things work, right? I'm not really answering your question. Yeah. I mean, maybe we need to bring on someone who's like an expert in pricing and strategy and that sort of stuff. And we should do an episode about that, like get their thoughts. I don't know. Yeah. So are you talking about like you bought something and then like next week it goes on sale and now you're like, mm-hmm. damn it, now I overpaid. Mm-hmm. Okay. That feeling. Yeah. But they're driving like the, you know, they're saying like, oh, like this is going to sell out. It's at a thousand dollars. This is the pre-order. Right. And then a week before it goes, they haven't sold out. So they're like, we dropped it down to eight hundred dollars. You know, this is your last chance selling fast. Three spots left. And the cycle continues. Right. Something Mm -hmm. along those lines. All right. So you sold it with a scarcity mindset. And then it turns out that it went on sale because it wasn't as scarce as they said. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah, that doesn't feel too great from the person that paid full price and was like Mm -hmm. urged to buy it, I'm sure. The only thing I can think of with that is it might cost you some capital with your audience because it kind of like makes you seem less authentic. So maybe the one of the ways to buy back some of that authenticity is to be prepared to if someone reaches out to you about that, you can just, you know, kind of do something that ConvertKit does a lot, and that's default to generosity. You can say, yeah, you know, I'm really sorry about that. We honestly thought that we were going to sell out and we weren't trying to mislead anybody. Here's a credit back to you of of that difference. And um, thank you for being, you know, a loyal fan of mine. And, you know, I hope to see you there or some version of that. And that makes the person feel like they're taken care of, that they weren't taken advantage of. And that's an opportunity where you get to show that how much you care about your audience instead of just like, well, you're fucked. Thanks for the extra money. You know, so so I used to serve tables for a long time. And so I've always been very like front facing with customers. And, you know, whenever you serve tables, invariably, there's going to be an over undercooked steak or a cold plate of food or a dissatisfied customer of some kind. And I learned a long time ago from many managers ago that that is like the best opportunity to show people how great you are. Like how you react to a mistake is way Mm. better than however you present yourself with the first impression. Like that is an opportunity that is rare and you should try to capitalize on that because I can't tell you how many times I've been to a restaurant and everything went great and I remember that experience. But I can tell you probably every time I've been to a, I've been to a restaurant where everything was terrible and they completely turned it around and I kept coming back. So that's just an opportunity waiting to be capitalized on. So it's not the end of the world. That's my point. I love that perspective, Miguel. I feel like mm-hmm. this is a great note to end on. Yeah, could not agree more. All right. This has been fun. I feel like we learned about Haley's pantry. We talked about me buying an iPhone. I shared my terrible YouTube short stats. This is great. <laughs> oh, wait, hold on. How'd that get in there? There's a question on the screen. It says, what's in your pantry? Who put okay, that there? I'd like to There's highlight no time. something There's though. No time. There's no, 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 no time. There is, there is, there is, there is. Okay. I'd like to highlight that <laughs> me doing this, I spent a decent amount of money for this pantry. And it was a school, another organizational area in my house as well. And this was the result of this brand, a local brand. It's called Tidy Style, like T-I-D-Y, Tidy Style. This is a result of content, of her creating good content and short form content. I'm just highlighting that, that the reason why she earned my business, where I spent a significant amount of money on both product and services from this company, 
is because her content was really great. And it's also part of the whole ecosystem of content creators that like the home edit, right? There's a Netflix show on the home edit. And this is like my consumerism is direct response from from seeing this content. My point in saying this is that there's power in content that's out there. And so that's it. And boom, the pantry is connected. It was all relevant. All relevant. That was all great. All relevant. Yep. <laughs> that was quite the mystery how that question popped in there. I don't remember adding that in there. That was weird. <laughs> Some kind of glitch in the matrix, I suppose. To answer your question though, what's in my pantry? No, I'm joking. Thank all God. right, friends. <laughs> Well, if you're still tuned in for some stupid reason, it's been really, really fun talking with you ladies. I'm excited to see everyone next week and enjoy your weekend. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe so that new episodes appear in your podcast feed every week. And while you're at it, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. If you want to join us live for the next recording, you'll find us on ConvertKit's YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash ConvertKit every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern. This show, like everything we do at ConvertKit, is made for creators by creators. We're on a mission to help creators like you earn a living online, and we make software that helps you build and connect with an audience of loyal fans. ConvertKit is the best way to launch or grow your next creative project. So to start building your audience, go to convertkit.com slash free and create a free account. We're looking forward to helping you on your creator journey.